Letter forty seven of Pamela, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, Volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty seven. I thank you, my dearest parents, for your kind letter. It was given to Mr. B., and he brought it to me himself, and was angry with me. Indeed he was, as you shall hear. Tis from the good couple, my dear, I see. I hope they are of my opinion. But whether they be or not, but I will leave you, and do you, Pamela, step down to my closet when you have perused it. He was pleased to withdraw, and I read it, and sat down, and considered it well. But as you know, I made it always my maxim to do what I could not avoid to do, with as good a grace as possible, I waited on the dear gentleman. Well, Pamela, said he, a little seriously, what say the worthy pair? Oh, sir, they declare for you. They say it is best for me to yield up this point. They are certainly in the right, but were you not a dear perverse creature to give me all this trouble about your saucy scruples? Nay, sir, don't call them so, said I, little thinking he was displeased with me. I still am somewhat wavering, though they advise me to acquiesce, and as it is your will, and you have determined, it is my duty to yield up the point. But do you yield it up cheerfully, my dear? I do, sir, and will never more dispute it. Let what will happen, and I beg pardon for having so often entered into this subject with you. But you know, sir, if one's weakness of mind gives one scruples, one should not yield implicitly, till they are satisfied, for that would look as if one gave not you the obedience of a free mind. You are very obliging just now, my dear, but I can tell you, you had made me half serious, yet I would not show it, in compliment to your present condition, for I did not expect that you would have thought any appeal necessary though to your parents in a point that I was determined upon, as you must see every time we talked of it. This struck me all in a heap. I looked down to the ground, having no courage to look up to his face, for fear I should behold his aspect as mortifying to me as his words. But he took both my hands and drew me kindly to him, and saluted me. Excuse me, my dearest love, I am not angry with you. Why starts this precious pearl? And kissed my cheek. Speak to me, Pamela. I will, sir, I will, as soon as I can. For this being my first check, so seriously given, my heart was full. But as I knew he would be angry and think me obstinate, if I did not speak, I said full of concern, I wish, sir, I wish you had been pleased to spare me a little longer for the same kind, very kind consideration. But is it not better, my dear, to tell you I was a little out of humor with you? than that I am, but you were very earnest with me on this point more than once, and you put me upon a hated, because ungenerous necessity of pleading my prerogative, as I call it, yet this would not do, but you appealed against me in the point I was determined upon, for reasons altogether in your favor, and if this was not like my Pamela, excuse me that I could not help being a little unlike myself. Ah, thought I, this is not so very unlike your dear self, were I to give the least shadow of an occasion, for it is of a piece with your lessons formerly. 
I am sure, said I, I was not in the least aware that I had offended, but I was too little circumspect. I had been used to your goodness for so long a time that I expected it, it seems, and thought I was sure of your favorable construction. Why, so you may be, my dear, in everything almost, but I don't love to speak twice my mind on the same subject. You know I don't, and you have really disputed this point with me five or six times, insomuch that I wondered what was come to my dearest. I thought, sir, you would have distinguished between a command where my conscience was concerned and a common point, you know, sir, I never had any will but yours in common points, but indeed you make me fearful because my task is rendered too difficult for my own weak judgment. I was silent, but by my tears. Now I doubt, Pamela, your spirit is high. You won't speak because you are out of humor at what I say. I will have no sullen reserves, my dearest. What means that heaving sob? I know that this is the time with your sex, when saddened with your apprehensions and indulged because of them by the fond husband, it is needful for both their sakes to watch over the changes of their temper for ladies in your way are often like encroaching subjects, apt to extend what they call their privileges on the indulgence showed them, and the husband never again recovers the ascendant he had before. You know these things better than I, Mr. B., but I had no intention to invade your province or to go out of my own. Yet I thought I had a right to a little free will on some greater occasions." why so you have my dear but you must not plead in behalf of your own will and refuse to give due weight to mine well sir i must needs say i have one advantage above others of my sex for if wives in my circumstances are apt to grow upon indulgence i am very happy that your kind and watchful care will hinder me from falling into that error he gave me a gentle tap on the neck let me beat my beloved sauce-box said he is it thus you rally my watchful care over you for your own good? But tell me, truly, Pamela, are you not a little sullen? Look up to me, my dear. Are you not? I believe I am, but tis but very little, sir. It will soon go off. Please to let me withdraw, that I may take myself to task about it. For at present I know not what to do, because I did not expect the displeasure I have incurred. Is it not the same thing, replied he, of this our first quarrel end here without your withdrawing? I forgive you heartily, my Pamela, and give me one kiss, and I will think of your saucy appeal against me no more. I will comply with your condition, sir, but I have a great mind to be saucy. I wish you would let me for this once. What would you say, my dearest? Be saucy, then, as you call it, as saucy as you can. Why, then I am a little sullen at present, that I am and I am not fully convinced whether it must be I that forgive you, or you me, for indeed if I can recollect I cannot think my fault so great in this point that was a point of conscience to me, as, pardon me, sir, to stand in need of your forgiveness. Well then, my dearest, said he, we will forgive one another, but take this with you, that it is my love to you that makes me more delicate than otherwise I should be, and you have inured me so much to a faultless conduct that I can hardly bear with natural infirmities from you. But giving me another tap, get you gone. I leave you to your recollection, and let me know what fruits it produces, for I must not be put off with a half-compliance. I must have your whole will with me, if possible. 
So I went up, and recollecting everything, sacrificed to my sex, as Mr. B. calls it, when he talks of a wife's reluctance to yield a favorite point, for I shed many tears, because my heart was set upon it. And so, my dear parents, twenty charming ideas and pleasures I had formed to myself are vanished from me, and my measures are quite broken. But after my heart was relieved by my eye, I was lighter and easier, and the result is we have heard of a good sort of woman, that is to be my poor baby's mother, when it comes, so your kindly offered inquiries are needless, I believe. Tis well for our sex in general that there are not many husbands who distinguish thus nicely, for I doubt there are but very few so well entitled to their ladies' observances as Mr. B. is to mine, and who would act so generously and so tenderly by a wife as he does, in every material instance on which the happiness of life depends. But we are quite reconciled, although, as I said, upon his own terms, and so I can still style myself, my dear honoured parents, your happy as well as your dutiful daughter, P.B. End of Letter 47